Chapters 13 and 14 of A Surgeon in Arms by Robert James Mannion. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 Courage, Fear, Cowardice. Practically all men and most women are brave when the occasion requires it. Out there, one sees many types of brave men. There are few cases of cowardice in the face of the enemy, though in all the armies in this great conflict, men have been shot for this crime conscience may make cowards of us all but war makes brave men of most of us in this war the pampered few as well as those who earned their bread by the sweat of their brow have shown a courage unsurpassed in the so-called chivalrous ages that are gone death-dealing instruments have been multiplied and refined by the inventive resources of our times till they have reached a stage of perfection never even approached in the past aeroplanes zeppelins artillery various types of trench mortars mining machine guns poisonous gases liquid fire and the many other means of killing and disabling our enemies have rendered this war the most horrible and terrifying in history yet it is rare at the front to see officers or men exhibit cowardice with few exceptions all face death in its many forms with a smile on their lips bearing at the same time indescribable hardships of mud dirt lice work and weather with unbeatable stoicism they are always ready to go forward with their faces to the foe an irresistible army of citizen soldiers the hardships are often more trying than the dangers yet it is always an inspiration to hear gay peals of laughter at the discomforts and hardships borne by men accustomed to all the luxuries of comfortable homes and beloved families just at dark on a zero cold winter's day our battalion arrived at some new frame huts on the edge of a wood the huts had just been built they knew not the meaning of bunks stoves or other comforts the gray sky could be seen through many chinks in the war contract lumber and the frozen earth through cracks in the floor after a cold supper of bully beef bread and jam there lay down on the bare floor of the headquarters hut to sleep as best they could the colonel a criminal lawyer of vancouver the second in command a lumber dealer of ottawa an attached major a lawyer of the same place the adjutant a broker of montreal the paymaster a banker of kingston the signal officer a bank clerk of edmonton the scout officer son of a well-known high court judge of quebec and myself not a complaint was heard but jokes were bandied to and fro and shortly the regular breathing of some and the snoring of others testified that man may quickly become accustomed to strange surroundings in the morning the boots of all were frozen to the floor men are brave because of many motives when they are standing shoulder to shoulder facing an enemy few of them flinch no matter how dark the outlook is at the moment their pride in themselves their loyalty to their native land their love of their comrades and their hatred for the enemy combine to prevent them from allowing fear to conquer them fear per se is another matter practically all men experience fear under fire at times but they grit their teeth and press on the quality that makes them do this is what we call courage any man who could look into a hole in the ground into which you could drop a small house and knowing this hole was made by a large caliber shell 
yet feel no fear on going through a barrage of such shells is not a brave man he's an imbecile as kelly said a man is not afeard of dem shells has more courage than sense but even outside of that natural fear of shells there is no doubt that at certain moments during the multitudinous dangers of war all men really feel afraid it cannot be avoided if a man sets any value whatever upon his life nine hundred and ninety-nine out of a thousand conquer that impulse to fly and carry on the thousandth allows the impulse to conquer him he is thereafter branded coward unless he retrieves himself later instinctively the brave man is recognized by his fellow-men in a dangerous advance there are usually a few who drop behind hide in a shell-hole or dug-out till the danger passes or lessens and then rejoin their unit claiming to have been lost or stunned by a shell in this way they escape being accused of and perhaps shot for desertion it may be that these men are more to be pitied than blamed self-preservation is the first law of nature but it is a physical law and the moral law that man must not be a coward overrules it a few hours after the advance over vimy ridge my corporal and i while dressing wounded in the field met a number of stragglers all going toward the front lines they gave various excuses for being behind their companies and some no doubt told the truth but it is also certain that a few had shirked there is a legitimate nervousness named shell-shock the real cases of this condition when they are extreme are sad to see an officer or tommy who has previously been an excellent soldier suddenly develops nerves to such an extent as to be uncontrollable he trembles violently his heart may be disorderly in rhythm he has a terrified air the slightest noise makes him jump and even occasionally run at top speed to a supposed place of safety he is the personification of terror at times crying out or weeping like a child he is unfit for duty and will require rest for an extended time some cases are not so extreme as this and may simply display sufficient nervousness to prevent their going on shell-shock is brought about by the effects of severe shelling by being buried by an explosion of shell or mine or by the killing beside the sufferer of a companion in short these cases are due to the subjection of the nervous system to a strain which it is unable to withstand making it collapse instead of resiliently rebounding the extreme cases are pitiable to observe and are just as ill as if they were suffering from insanity or delirium tremens it is doubtful if the man who has suffered from a severe attack of this malady is ever again fit to serve in the firing line only time can tell whether or not any permanent weakness will be left in the nervous system as its result these are not cases of cowardice though to a superficial observer they might appear so some of them six months later after that full period of rest and care still show marked tremor a fast or irregular heart are jumpy on the slightest sharp sound and are generally unfit for service it is interesting to study the psychology of the coward but it is more interesting and infinitely more inspiring to study that of the brave man brave men and courageous women are so common as this war has amply proven that we may find plenty of material for this study the women god bless them and sustain them 
have to show more courage than the men for they have to endure in patience the life-sapping tedium of staying at home while their loved ones go into danger and perhaps to death they have not as their men have the variety of change the interest of novelty or the excitement of battle to sustain them and occupy their minds their duty is to wait 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 praying and hoping that a good and merciful god will spare their loved ones o oh, you wives and mothers and sweethearts who wait the world owes to you much more of honour and thanks than it owes to the men at the front you in your sublime unselfishness prefer to see your beloved men-folks get the honours and praise while you are content and happy to accept the reflected glory every country in the world believes that it has the fairest women and the bravest men and to make an irishman each is right in believing it it is only natural that each country should have a national pride in the deeds of its heroes and this war will give to most countries enough acts of bravery and of chivalry to inspire their youth for a few generations captain gamel was a handsome dashing chap whose love of fine clothes bright colours silk pyjamas which he wore even in the lines while the rest of us slept in our uniforms according to orders and immaculate cleanliness gained for him the sobriquet beau brummel his farcical gaiety was continuous and rarely did he appear serious even though a serious mien would have been more appropriate his extremes of style made him a daily cause of humorous remarks on the part of his comrades and yet his courage was unquestioned i have seen him coolly walking along daintily smoking his special brand of cigarette apparently as much at ease as if he were in his own smoking-room with the shells at the same time bursting all around him good stories were told of his careless fearlessness at the somme and elsewhere as he carried out his duties in tight corners with the sang-froid of a veteran here was a fellow one would take to be the lightest of the light a poseur a farceur a dandy of the ladies who could be as gay and the light in danger as in london he is the type of chap who was no doubt a sissy in the opinion of his fellow schoolboys but is in reality of the stuff that men are made major bilbauer an english bank clerk who had lived some years in canada was rather the reverse of the above he took life more seriously and hardly a day went by that he did not put into the orderly room a complaint great or small until he got the name the grouser usually his complaints were on behalf of his men whom he seemed to think were always getting discriminated against by someone because he was of the rather extreme unmixable aristocratic type his men respected him rather than loved him though he was a very likable chap to those who really knew him but they would unhesitatingly follow him through hell-fire for in danger his handsomely chiselled features wore a scornful smile as he strode along gaily swinging his cane with the same air that he had worn in more peaceable days in hyde park he had been decorated for conspicuous bravery and well deserved it on one occasion a large caliber dud shell struck in the doorway of a superficial dugout in which he was writing and rolled to his feet without more than a glance at it he coolly pushed it to one side with his foot and continued writing 
corporal pear a red-headed irish boy was for a long time my sanitary corporal in the lines and out he had been serving in the lines for sixteen months at the time of which i write and was tired of it he frankly said he was afraid to do certain things but when ordered to do them he carried them out cheerfully and smilingly at the somme he won great praise as a runner for carrying messages through heavy barrages always appearing terrified at the prospect but always getting through many a time inspecting the trenches with me he would say respectfully those pineapples are dropping in just ahead of us sir and we better turn back perhaps to tease him i would go on telling him to come along oh very good sir he would say with a cheerful smile on his red face and he would trudge along like a faithful dog he was homely in looks red-headed not clever and said he was afraid but no more faithful or more dependable soldier ever went to the front than corporal pear sergeant gascrane was a small shrivelled sharp-tongued five-foot-high french-canadian who assisted me for some time he was cynical as to the illnesses of the men and treated them usually like so many cattle believing them all to be malingerers till one day i reminded him that a man may often malinger but that did not prevent him from occasionally getting sick he apparently did not believe it though he often cursed the rheumatism that afflicted his own joints he said they all had frigidity of the feet with a big f he was at times addicted to alcohol and every few months he lost his stripes because of intoxication then he would labor incessantly till by his good work he won them back again and when he did regain them he was as proud as if he had won his marshal's baton until the next occasion when the great god bacchus put him back to the ranks with one's fell swoop with all his faults he had an absolute disregard of danger i sincerely believe that he thought that if a shell should strike him well so much the worse for the shell at the somme his cool courageous work under heavy shell-fire won for him at the recommendation of a british colonel who had observed it the military medal but one deed he performed which i think deserved more praise than any other while working on the field a lieutenant-colonel was brought to him on a stretcher the lieutenant-colonel's wound was so slight as to cause a sneer to hover about the sergeant's lips as he dressed it a stretcher squad carried the colonel to the rear and another squad under the sergeant's direction carried a badly wounded tommy an ambulance came for them the sergeant had the soldier put in first and then the colonel but the colonel angrily protested against the tommy being allowed to go in the same ambulance with him très bien monsieur replied the sergeant in his quick sharp tones and turning to a stretcher squad said remove the officer it was quickly done the colonel staring in angry astonishment the sergeant coolly continuing his work while the officer awaited the coming of another ambulance in my opinion this act of an n c o was worthy of a v c major peters this officer somehow impressed me as being without any semblance of nervousness under any conditions he was always an interesting study if a shell burst in our neighborhood close enough to make most of us duck pete would go on serenely as if on church parade rather slow thinking he was sure in judgment he never made haste to give his thoughts tongue nor any unproportioned thought his act 
he had a quiet dry humor and generous kindly nature he was invariably late on parade and probably improperly dressed i have met him on one occasion wandering aimlessly across an area looking for his company which he had somehow mislaid if the orderly room gave out an order for some return to be made by company commanders by eight a m his was never in before ten and then only after he had been reminded of the order after the battle of arras he forgot altogether to put in his recommendations for bravery on the part of any of his men though by a rush movement he succeeded in getting them in on time but with all these faults he had the respect trust and confidence of every one he had won the m c twice for coolness and bravery in action if the holding of the front line was a particularly risky proposition at any time he would probably be the man in charge of the task he was never found wanting when cool courageous action was needed and all knew it many are the good tales told of him in his early front line days by night he would quietly wander off over the parapet by himself and an hour or so later would come strolling back after having had a good look into the german lines and perhaps into some of their dugouts in his slow voice he would give any valuable information not wasting any words in doing it on one of these trips as he stepped back over the parapet he was met by a senior officer who knowing his junior's characteristics said well pete what have you found out this time pete sat himself down on the firing step of the trench and gave him all the information that he had suddenly the senior noticed that a pool of blood was collecting where major peters sat are you wounded he cried well yes peters answered slowly guess they got me that time and he rose and strolled carelessly along to the r a p where his wounds were found to be serious enough to put him out of action for a few weeks the germans had thrown a bomb at him the major loved dearly going into dangerous zones just wandering off to see what he could see after we had taken vimy ridge but not yet progressed beyond it we had outposts on the german side of it looking down on vimy and other german positions four or five hundred yards away a good deal of sniping was going on against us as our men were so often exposed on the side of the hill where they had very little protection except an odd shell hole or a few feet of shallow trench here and there our battalion was holding this line and i on the day vimy village was taken april thirteenth had occasion to make a hurried trip along this whole front at one spot where a trench two feet deep was the only protection from possible sniping or shell-fire major peters stood leaning back against the parados two-thirds of his body exposed hands in pockets gazing pensively across at the vimy ruins what are you trying to do get your bally head blown off i demanded without looking around or otherwise changing his position he replied in his slow voice i don't think there's anyone there to blow my head off this shows his judgment for he was right as it proved a little later when our scout officer followed by a single platoon entered it but it showed also his carelessness as to danger for at the moment he was only guessing or surmising that there was no one in vimy and at any moment he might have found it out to his sorrow a few minutes after this the accidental explosion of a mills bomb killed one man 
wounded two officers severely and six men almost as severely and i was kept busy for some time attending to them having finished i found major peters near me looking longingly toward vimy into the ruins of which our scout officer lieutenant a our o c battalion major e and a platoon in charge of ever smiling lieutenant g had all disappeared major peters was apparently impatient to go across though he had no right to do so without orders leaving the wounded to be evacuated by my always trustworthy and fearless assistants corporal h and private b m m and their stretcher-bearers i joined him though i had even less right to go across than he we dared each other to go and off we went an odd shell was falling about and it was quite characteristic for pete to remark slowly and seriously i don't mind dodging shells but i do hate dodging that damned orderly room of ours but he was as joyously gay as if he were a schoolboy going on some forbidden picnic without encountering a boche we leisurely strolled through the ruined and deserted streets passing here and there a dead german and one canadian who must have been lost and being killed while looking for his own lines on the main road was a wagon of heavy shells with its wheels interlocked with those of another wagon both apparently deserted in a hurry by the fleeing germans for an officer's complete kit lay beside them we passed the station and went on out five hundred yards to where our platoon was digging in we joined them and then wandered on for one hundred yards into what was to be the new no-man's land without ever having encountered a german they had deserted the village by dark and had not left even the proverbial corporal's guard behind guided by the major through the streets which were now in the shadows of evening we unerringly found our way back whence we had come for he had the pathfinding instincts of the north american indian on arrival we found that while my absence had been unnoticed poor pete's had been and for some minutes in the orderly room he was in hot water explaining matters his explanations ended as they usually did by being unsatisfactory and our strict disciplinarian adjutant major p turned aside to hide a smile and murmur poor pete always in trouble no matter what breach he ever made in the rules peters was always forgiven for his sterling worth was too well known to allow any one in authority to hold anger against him one of the best stories told of him is so droll and yet so typical that it is worth repeating he was attending a course of instruction with a number of other officers on measures to be taken during a gas attack the gas expert had shown carefully how the gas masks should be put on quickly and correctly and the officers were applying them they were instructed to take off the masks and to see which of them could have his on in the shortest time to the surprise of all present the slow-moving major had his mask on before any of the others on inquiring of him how it happened he admitted with that humorous dry smile of his that he had not bothered taking his mask off after the first trial captain j a cullum c a m c some twelve years ago when i was studying in edinburgh at scotland's famous university i occupied rooms at the apartment house of a bonny little scotchwoman on marchmont road miss anderson was a mother to us all 
how well i remember her smiling sweet face above which her white hair made an appropriate halo as she came in to do for us some kindly thoughtful act may she still be in the land of the living and happy in the next suite of rooms lived jack cullum of regina canada and for the last month before examinations the regular lessees of his rooms having returned he and i occupied the same suite he was a square-jawed firm-mouthed good-looking chap with a strong arm and leg made strong by breaking broncos on the western canadian ranch where he grew to manhood and prosperity he was blunt almost to a fault but his word was good his mind fair and his manners sociable other canadians who were post-graduating there at the same time will remember many a gay evening we passed in the old r b on princess street that most magnificent thoroughfare in scotland with the old castle which saw many of the happy and unhappy hours of poor mary queen of scots as a background calton hill and its unfinished grecian architecture at one end and that fine gothic monument to sir walter scott in the centre in all these jolly evenings dear old cullum was foremost in pay times and gay times in serious moments and in times of leisure however his mind often carried him back in happy reminiscence to his homeland where a pretty canadian girl whose photo he carried and often showed was anticipating his return when the war came jack was among the first to come forward he went across to france with a western canadian battalion in the next year column was decorated for conspicuous gallantry three times twice by the king and once by the french government with the croix de guerre his first act of bravery was performed when the huns blew up a mine in no man's land injuring many of his battalion he heedless of danger and orders rushed over the top and attended his men in plain view of the enemy for this he was given the military cross by king george and a bar to the m c and the french decoration came later for acts of almost reckless courage he was the first canadian to win three decorations and now he was thought to bear a charmed life by his comrades shortly after the last bit of ribbon came to him he applied for transfer to the fighting forces resigning his commission in the medical corps to accept a lower rank in the infantry and just following this noble act while sitting in a mess hut two miles behind the lines at Nulet Wood, a stray shell came through the roof, slightly injuring two other officers and mortally wounding Cullum. His generous soul displayed itself to the last, for he absolutely refused to have his wounds dressed until after the others had been attended to, maintaining that his injuries were slight. And the gallant Cullum died in the ambulance on his way to the hospital but of course they are not all the fine types you occasionally meet what the english call a rotter but his kind is exceedingly scarce after all the finest type is the ordinary common soldier without any special qualifications who day in and day out night in and night out performs the dirty rough hard monotonous and often very dangerous tasks of the tommy who does his duty, grumbling perhaps, swearing often, but does it without cowardice, without hope of honour or emolument, except the honour of doing his duty and doing it like a man. 
when his work is done he comes back if still alive and well to sleep in wet clothes on a mud floor under a leaky roof or no roof often hungry or his appetite satisfied by bully beef and biscuit yes with all his swearing and despite any lead swinging the finest type of all the real hero of the war is the ordinary common soldier end of chapter thirteen chapter fourteen air fighting up to the present the greatest aid given by the air force to any of the armies in this war is that of acting as scouts or in other words the air service supplies the eyes of the army and navy much is said of the time when thousands of planes will be used as offensive weapons on a large scale it is quite possible that in the future this will come to pass but up to the present spasmodic bombardments of fortified positions by a few planes and the useless murder of non-combatants by german zeppelins has been the limit of the attacking power of air fleets there are spectacular fights in the air between airmen of the opposing sides and when one considers the limited perspective of a man living in a seven-foot ditch the monotony of such a life and man's natural love of competition one can easily understand the deep interest taken in these air duels by the men in the trenches one sometimes sees six or seven battles in the heavens in one afternoon and another dozen machines driven back by shells from our anti-aircraft guns tennyson's prophetic words written long ago in locksley hall are indeed fulfilled for i dipped into the future far as human eye could see saw the vision of the world and all the wonder that would be saw the heavens fill with commerce argosies of magic sails pilots of the purple twilight dropping down with costly bales heard the heavens fill with shouting and there rained a ghastly dew from the nation's airy navies grappling in the central blue let us hope that after this war for liberty and freedom has ended in the subjugation of militarism his further prophecy in regard to the parliament of man the federation of the world may also come true when airmen fly over their opponents lines they are first met by shells from anti-aircraft guns and bullets from machine guns and between the two they are often forced to return to their own side of the lines it is a beautiful picture on a clear day to see these machines swerving this way and that diving ascending out of the path of this rain of shot and shell that greets them though it rarely brings them down the swaying machine cutting its way through the hundreds of white and black puffy balls caused by the bursting shells is a sight for gods and men the men at least never tire of watching it a very amusing incident in this connection is told by the officers of a certain canadian battalion of infantry their original lieutenant colonel now a general came of a well-known and able though rather egotistical and bombastic canadian family when in the trenches this lieutenant colonel always insisted on being accompanied by his batman or a special runner whose duty it was to carry a ross rifle ready loaded when he saw a german plane soaring over no man's land toward him anywhere from ten thousand to fifteen thousand feet in the air he would cry quick give me that rifle 
and putting it to his shoulder he would pump shot after shot in the direction of the distant airman if the latter chanced to go back from whence he came the lieutenant-colonel would turn to those about him with a satisfied and triumphant smile of self-approbation ah i've turned him back he would say when he learned as he occasionally did that he had been filling the sky with lead in a mistaken effort to hit one of our own machines it worried him not at all for the knowledge he had that he had turned back hundreds of hun planes prevented an occasional slight mistake from damping the ardor of a spirit such as his when the war is over he may rest assured as he no doubt will that no canadian no britisher yes it might even be written no man had done more in this great war to accomplish the defeat of the hun than he very often while you are looking up at a shelled aeroplane the bits of shrapnel and shell are heard thudding into the earth all about on one occasion my commanding officer and i lay on the ground in a shower of this kind while a short distance away a soldier of another battalion was severely wounded by a piece of shell casing it is strange that more men are not hit in this manner and the same remark may be made of the few who are wounded in proportion to the number of shells poured over in an ordinary bombardment a young airman described his work to me as much monotony and a few damned bad frights and this may be taken as a description of almost any branch of the service at the front the phrase a young airman is very appropriate in speaking of most of our heroes of the air for they are often only boys of nineteen or twenty years of age who with the recklessness of youth but the courage of veterans risk their valuable young lives in dangerous reconnaissances or in battling with the enemy a mile or two in the air strange that buoyant happy young fellows like these with all their lives before them should value the future less than those who have lived more than half of theirs but this is the case and it is stated truly that the steadiness of nerve of these heroic youngsters surpasses that of older men one day we relieved the blank battalion in the lines and as the trenches were veritable mud-holes major p and i took to the fields and crossed overland to our rear lines passing through our long lines of howitzers and field guns on the way as our batteries were just about to open a heavy strafe on the enemy to find out the strength of their artillery on this front we sat on the edge of a shell-hole to smoke a cigarette and watch the effect of the bombardment the batteries near us had eight or ten men to each gun using a small derrick to carry into the dark breech of the gun the heavy shell this was pushed home and behind it was shoved in the charge of gun cotton then the metal door for all the world like the door of a small safe was closed and bolted the range having been given from a row of figures called across by an artillery lieutenant with field glasses the gun was brought to the proper level by one man turning a wheel while another gazing through a clinometer told when the proper range was attained another man pulled a string the gun belched forth its death-dealing load and we watched the shell bursting a mile or two away over the german lines with a flash a great upheaval of earth and a cloud of smoke high in the air 
presently to our right we heard a machine-gun playing its rat-a-tat-tat looking up we saw one of our own planes spitting its stream of fire at a large red german flyer that had been doing much damage to our machines on this front for some weeks the hun plane was above thus having the advantage suddenly his machine made a nose-dive downward like a hawk swooping down on its prey and as the german had speed very much in his favor he quickly arrived at the position he desired his machine-gun poured forth bullets and to our horror we saw that the tail of our aeroplane was cut cleanly off by them as though by a huge sword the machine having no guiding rudder immediately turned nose downward and we sighed sadly and felt sick at heart as we thought of the gallant young chaps falling rapidly to their death it is always with a sinking feeling that you watch one of your own machines brought down you can't be entirely without pity even for the enemy under the same conditions for when a man dies in a charge or even when he is mortally hit by a sniper's bullet or by a shell he is either killed instantly or he is brought back on a stretcher with hopes of recovery but when an aviator is ten thousand feet in the air carrying on a duel with a foe it is often only his machine that is disabled and while it noses down the long ten thousand feet though it is only a matter of moments he has time to realize that death is about to conquer him and not in a pleasant manner just before our unfortunate machine in this fight crashed into the earth one of the occupants fell or jumped from it the other remained in his seat facing his quickly coming death with the same courage that made him take the chance the tail of the machine being the lighter came down more slowly and struck the earth not far behind the body to which it had been attached in the meantime the german soared triumphantly above but now he circled down sailing close to the earth over his fallen opponents apparently to see the result of his work then he soared aloft again as all about him are fleecy white clouds or puffs of smoke from the explosions of shells from our anti-aircraft guns in the neighborhood they burst everywhere except in his quickly changing path and he sailed back over his own lines in safety stretcher bearers hurried forward from a nearby field ambulance dressing station to find that the man who had fallen from the machine was still alive though probably fatally injured he was hurried off to receive attention the other was beneath the machine and beyond human aid as the smashed machine was in plain view of the germans it might at any moment become the target of their artillery and the stretcher-bearers here as in all their work showed an absolute disregard of personal danger all honour to them one half-hour later being nearby with my corporal we crossed over to the ruined aeroplane already the royal flying corps had a guard on it to save it from souvenir hunters and we were warned away but were later allowed to go around it and had a good view at close hand of its tangled mass of wires machinery and armament there with his youthful face looking up toward his maker lay the other occupant of the plane 
shortly his loved ones at home would receive the sad intelligence of the untimely but honourable and courageous death of this boy who gave up the life he was to live the sons he was to father his immortality to use the words of rupert brooke in order to do his share in holding aloft the lamp of liberty and freedom sometimes it is difficult to say who has command of the air at a certain section of the line this big red plain and a few others of its type seem to be speedier than any of ours on this front but just as we have gradually surpassed the german in artillery in the morale of our men in control of no man's land and in general offensive power it was only a matter of a short time till we again took control of the air on this front as we have on others the control of the air depends in great part not on the courage of the aviators but on the efficiency of their machines two days later i saw this red plane or one of its type daringly fly over our lines and only about three hundred feet above them an exceedingly low flight over enemy lines a scouting plane of ours much inferior in speed and fighting power but manned by some brave boy who cared not for his life so long as he did his duty flew straight at the red machine we watched in strained silence while they circled about each other their machine guns spitting fire and once they nearly collided head on the hun decided to retreat and flew back over his own lines and our man or boy sailed away in another direction to continue the observation work he had been doing when the hun came had our boy lost his would have been just another name added to the long list of heroes of the royal flying corps for his act in risking his life in attacking a much speedier and more dangerous machine than his own was the act of a noble courageous fearless boy well worthy of all praise and of the finest decoration had he succeeded in downing his enemy luck would have been on his side for success in fighting in the air as in ordinary life often depends on chance besides the courage displayed by the youthful members of the air service they and their german enemy rivals usually display toward each other a chivalry perhaps not equalled in any other branch of the army it is partly due no doubt to the fact that the men who go into the air service outside of their courage are naturally lovers of the picturesque and spectacular it is also due to the unconscious admiration one brave man has for another the pity which he must feel for a fellow-man whom he may shoot to his death ten thousand feet in the air and finally the knowledge that it is only a matter of time if he remains in the service till he meets a superior machine if not a braver man who may give him the same fate this feeling does not prevent them fighting most fiercely for each knows that while to the winner may come rewards and decorations to the loser comes almost certain death but if by chance they both escape through poor firing exhaustion of ammunition or that great element chance there is little or no personal hatred but rather admiration for a brave foe the greatest of british airmen the late captain ball v c d s o told of a contest in which he and a german both exhausted their machine-gun ammunition without serious injury to either 
and then after having done their best to kill each other they sailed along side by side laughing one at the other till they parted company with a friendly wave of the hand to return to their own lines it was not uncommon in the early part of the war when one of our men was brought down behind the german lines for the germans on the following day to fly over our lines and to drop a note telling us that lieutenant blank had been killed in a fight on the previous day and had been buried behind their trenches with all military honors needless to say our airmen displayed the same courtesy toward their opponents the knowledge thus given often saved that depressing uncertainty on the part of the missing hero's relations and friends which is more disheartening than the knowledge of his death personal bravery is not the monopoly of any one nation the airmen of our brave french belgian italian or russian allies require no praise from my feeble pen and those of us who have been out there have seen too many incidents of the courage of our enemies to belittle them and we have no desire to do so they have often been barbarous in their uncalled-for cruelties and outrageous in their acts but they have been sometimes brave careless of death and chivalrous on one occasion i saw a german fly so low over our lines from the front to the rear that we could see him leaning out over the side and looking down at us in the trenches some companies of infantry in the front lines raised their rifles and peppered away at him but he carelessly flew on toward the rear where a company of pioneers were digging trenches and so struck were they at this reckless trick that they pulled off their helmets and swinging them in the air they cheered him another instance of british canadian in this case love of any brave act the annals of our british air service are so crowded with tales of heroic deeds that they seem almost to dwarf the heroism shown in the infantry artillery or naval branches of our forces many stories worthy of the classic heroes are yet untold of boys twenty-one or twenty-two years old who grappled with their enemies in the clouds with the same undaunted fearlessness displayed by horatius at the bridge in the brave days of old End of chapter fourteen